2: And welcome back to the Cover 3 podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fornelli. I'm Chip Patterson. We're opening up the big old bag of mail. We got some fun topics submitted by you to break down. But before we jump into topics that include uh, the dream of the 90s, whether it will become alive again, the top quarterbacks of the last decade, the Texas quarterback room, at least looking into the future, Michigan versus Michigan State—that in-state rivalry—and much more, gentlemen. How are we doing?
1: Good. Um, I will say that this is—I'm very appreciative of our of our listeners for all the questions because the mailbags have been, I think, fun questions, and they've they've carried us in the off season here. Uh, so, and I had I actually enjoyed preparing for this pod too. I think that there's some good, some good discussions on the horizon. So, thank you everyone that's been posting comments and questions and five star reviews, uh, kick rocks anyone that's been posting one or two star reviews.
2: Chip haters we don't out want here. You,
1: we don't want you anyways. Um, and secondarily speaking, and and I've talked about how like the quarantine has made me appreciate some things that like didn't used to appreciate like potato chips well I, I I'm starting to lose interest in music like I'm bored with it all mm. so if you guys if there's anything that I should be listening to right now I feel like I've just sort of I'm just like the all the all the music out there is just I've just listened to it all at this point so I need I need a good lead. On something I can listen to while I'm prepping for a podcast or watching film. I
0: listen to a lot of Spotify playlists. (laughs) And And not like,
1: how do you find a good playlist? I like the mood playlist. Like, oh, like here's like the here's how this like happy at work playlist or whatever. Not no not even
0: those. I listen mostly to like a lot of instrumental playlists. Like I'm not most of the music I'm listening to lately doesn't have. No, it's just it's I it's better for because I'm usually I spend most of my day reading. You know what I mean? Like if I'm online working, I'm usually reading things or I'm writing things because that's essentially what my job comes down to. So if I'm listening to music, I find that if I'm listening to stuff with lyrics, it kind of can be distracting. Whereas if I'm just listening to instrumental stuff, it's kind of like background noise and it helps, you know erase everything else and helps me focus on what I'm reading or writing it helps me keep my attention more than anything
2: are you do you feel like you've listened to all the David Bowie you're done with David Bowie you're good there No, I did
1: I did I did dabble in like um 80s hairband rock and that was actually a good change of pace and and it was a productive couple days and I'm not opposed to to going back into that well but like I don't want to become just like 80s hair rock guy who like that's all he listens to is Hades hair rock so you know I, I that that's always there but
2: uh, what about not- Sly and the Family Stone like mostly everything before 1971 like he released one album in 67 two in 68 one of them Stand that has a couple radio hits that you'd know then of course there's a riot going on in 70 or 71 like basically the first three or four Sly and the Family Stone albums i would recommend uh i'm going through my recently played right now have you done avid brothers
1: i've done the folk kind of country stuff you know i've sort of been in that genre have you done
2: aretha franklin prince
1: (laughs) that's just just straight like wedding like wedding rock
2: oh no dude! aretha franklin covering other people's music she does them better than the originals
1: all right all right that's it that's that's something maybe worth to, to dig in on. Billy Preston. You know, I, had good, I had a good little reggae sesh uh for a couple of days there. Nice. And I, but I just don't know what reggae to like to explore. Like I'm just it was just like reggae playlist. So you got some good reggae for me? Like maybe that that was that was a that was like a Have a you ever heard days. of this guy named Bob Marley? No,
2: but on that note, Peter Tosh. You can chase that one. Like you can, you you can chase the, yeah, get into Peter Tosh. Like you can trace the, the tentacles and the extension of the Bob Marley music tree and find a lot of, uh, a a lot of good, really, really, really good reggae music. That isn't the same Bob Marley songs that, uh, you've probably heard time and time again. Have you done Curtis Mayfield?
1: No, you're like a big, like Motown guy, aren't you? uh curtis
2: mayfield's like a little bit more soul funk but yeah i mean i probably i probably
0: float
1: around yeah maybe that that generally speaking like that is not exactly motown all right so that's not a that's not a typical genre i go to so maybe i need to explore that you know test test the waters there see if that can scratch the itch
0: uh yeah go ahead Going back to what you said about Aretha Franklin and her covers are better than the original versions. Here's a hot take. Here's a cover that's better than the original version. You know the song "Word Up" by Cameo. Yes, Corn's cover is like ten times better yes.
2: than the original versions. <laughs> it is. Hey, There's respect. No disputing it. Corn Corn gets grouped into new metal, but Corn, Corn Diehard Corn fans have good arguments for uh, that they had some bangers that got lost and grouped in with a lot of trash from the time.
0: Yeah, because yeah. I mean, I'm not going to sit here like I listened to Korn a lot when they were when I was that age and they were, you know, still out there before. I don't I mean, they're still around, but I haven't listened to them in a long time, but they they were unfairly grouped into something that they kind of helped create and then was followed by a whole lot of bad and they just got kind of lumped in where it's like, "No, they were always better than those bands."
2: All right, one last know. recommendation then we'll dig in. Have you done Talking
0: Heads? No. Oh, you have to do Talking
2: Heads. Great work music, too, because so much of it's so up-tempo. Okay. You You guys are like...
0: I've been listening to Talking Heads since I was a wee little boy because my dad listened to Talking Heads in the 80s, so I've loved them my whole life.
1: All right, Talking Heads. What was the rig I got? Tom Marsh? No, Peter Peter Tosh. Tosh. Peter Peter (laughs) Tosh, okay. Tom... Tom Marsh Peter Tosh doesn't sound that much like more like edgy than Tom Marsh. I don't think um, it's his real name. Uh, but and, uh, talk the Franklin. All right, so I got my three go-tos. Well, I'll, I'll report back and see if that. Have you listened to
0: RTJ Four?
1: Yeah. Mm. Uh, no, I don't know who that is.
0: Run the jewels. Run the jewels.
1: Oh, oh, oh I didn't. I didn't know the. the I didn't know the, the lingo. Uh, I've, I've dabbled there. Yeah. That's a very good album.
0: Yeah. Throw
2: that one on there too. Also very timely. Indeed, very timely. And speaking of timely, you might have heard that there is a golf tournament going on. That's right. This is your power three moment on the Cover 3 podcast. And look, we'll all be able to bet on football soon enough, but how about some golf action to carry you over until the fall? You can win $1,000 without putting down any, that's right, any of your own money. CBS Sports has a brand new golf prop game with questions for every round. You can still make your plays for rounds two through four at the Travelers Championship. Just head to CBSSports.com/golf for more. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that is CBSSports.com/golf for the new golf prop game where you can win one thousand dollars without putting down any of your own money. Let's uh, let's dig on in. <clears throat> First question. Coming, oh, love this on the back of uh, Mavericks, fighter pilots, bus drivers. This one comes from Iceman. I noticed that this, this is the first year that there's an international tab in the 24 7 state dropdown, and there seem to be more recruits from Europe going to Power 5 schools. Do you think that places like Europe or Australia could become regular recruiting spots for college football coaches? This is something that's happened in D1 basketball and there are programs like Gonzaga that have built a lot of their success off of recruiting internationally when not everyone was doing it. Is there an opportunity for a school that doesn't have a ton of in-state talent to increase their roster talent by going over to Europe?
1: Yes, there is an opportunity, but not in the same way Gonzaga has like we're if the if the European football thing explodes, then we're like still like 50 years away from that being a legitimate pipeline to build top-end teams. But if you are UMass, then hell yeah, go get some go get some guys from from Europe. If you are, uh, I mean, we're seeing like the temples of the world are doing it. Like West Virginia's gotten a couple guys. Um, of late that are pretty good players. There are dudes over there, but it's still like, you don't want to like fill your roster with a bunch of European football players. Like, um, the thing I, I went over there last spring. I was going to say, camp. this is, this is
2: right up your wheelhouse because you were just in Amsterdam for a camp, right?
1: A year ago. Unfortunately, obviously the circumstances prevented anything. Uh, and will probably prevent a lot of recruiting over there this cycle. Cause Coaches were going over there too and vi- and, and visiting and, and seeing players. So I, I loved it. It was awesome because the kids over there are like so eager and excited about being part of the f- football universe. And they're super mature. They're incredibly motivated and and they are uh they're disciplined and they have like kind of a little bit of more diverse athletic skill set, but they're also really raw. Some are a little a little mechanical. Uh So I just you know you don't want to like find like I was a little like Penn State's got a couple guys over there. I'm a little surprised it's worth Penn State's time. I'm not at all surprised it's worth Temple's time. It's it is. It's it's worth UMass's time. Maybe it's worth like West Virginia's time, but it's uh you know it's it's definitely a little bit of a a gamble. And and you're not going to find someone every year. But if you find a good one, then that's you know I, I, that that's a that's a easier pool to fish out of than Atlanta Metro Atlanta.
0: Okay, well, you say it's going to be like fifty years or whatever. What about Australia's punter industrial complex now?
1: I mean, that's a different deal. Like, I'm actually talking about the, the position players in Europe that don't come to America for JUCO or prep school or whatever; just are recruited out of Europe. Mm-hmm. the The kickers and the punters out of Australia, it's 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 absurd how much that has been that that business has been perfected. Like everyone's getting their punters from over there. Like, yeah, if you don't have an Australian like punter,
0: you're you're behind.
1: Yeah, no. I like get that the, the kicking and punting game is a is a totally different deal. Does that? But there's there's two really good Canadians that were signed this year. Theo Johnson went to Penn State. He's going to be a stud at tight end. And a Joe Joe is a kid who went to Clemson as a receiver, played his senior year and uh, maybe his junior and senior year in Florida, but originally from Canada. Uh, those guys have a chance to be elite special players, and there's a couple more in that cycle. So there are some good players, but it's a, it's you know, is it, is it worth the squeeze? Is it is it is it worth the effort? Is, that's sort of the the calculation you got to make.
2: The uh- and is, is that going to end up being a little bit regional in the fact that East Coast schools are going to be able to go and get players from Europe and West Coast schools might have advantages from Australia? Although the punter complex, as you mentioned, has been uh, going all across the country.
1: No, the punter deal, like those kids just get like placed. Like it's not even about, like it's about like there's the Pro Kick Australia is the name of the group that kind of places these guys. And I think, I don't know, I need to dig on that a little bit. I think they basically are just – they just tell these kids where they're going. And it's like, you know, they the, they it's like a matchmaker service with the school and with these twenty eight year old tatted up like men that have been Australian rules rugby players professionally for the last six years and they're just like, All right, you're gonna go to Georgia Tech. You're it's an arranged marriage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's 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 kinda wild, but those guys they, they pan out.
2: Hey, this, if, so if you're tight with the right coach, like that is the, the old, like get tight with the high school coach taken to the nth degree.
1: In terms of the, yeah, I mean getting tight with the high school coach in Australia. Like getting tight with that high school coach. I don't know. I don't know how they decide who gets the best players. I think maybe it's just, yeah, maybe that's what it is. You know, Utah has been, been hanging out there the longest. So Utah, you get, you get our number one seed. Whoever's, you know, whoever has the most loyalty to us, beyond, like, I don't know. I'm just guessing on that. But there, there clearly is some sort of uh, uh, arrangement where they just, you know, they just ship these guys off.
2: All right. Next question. Hey guys, love the pod and thank you for being one of my few sources of sports entertainment over the last few months. You're welcome. On this week's show, y'all discuss Nebraska as an underrated storyline this upcoming season. I think of Nebraska and Tennessee as two similar programs over the last 30 years. Both dominated in the 90s, but now have struggled to meet fan expectations for over a decade. Also, both Pruitt and Frost were hired in the same year. What team do you think emerges back into national championship slash... Playoff contention first. Also, that underrated storylines episode. Go download it if you haven't. Good discussion on Nebraska, among other topics, as we drafted the news. So Nebraska or Tennessee. What do we think?
0: It's a tough call.
2: I don't think it is.
0: Well, what do you think? Tennessee. I'm
2: gonna take a snapshot and I'm gonna expand it way bigger than it should be. But and I think I've said this before, but Nebra the way that Tennessee brought the fight to Alabama, its number one rival, the class of the SEC, like, yes, they definitely ended up losing that game. And, you know, there's still some distance for Tennessee to go before I'm going to consider them a college football playoff contender. But when I consider that that is the distance of how you measure yourself to the top of the SEC versus Nebraska against Ohio State, it's like the gap between Nebraska and Ohio State, I think is bigger than the gap between Tennessee and Alabama.
0: I, I I get it. I think that in a vacuum, Tennessee is closer right now than Nebraska is just based on the, the current state of the programs, the way that the recruiting, et cetera. I just think that the one thing you have to consider, though, is for Tennessee to get to the playoff and to become a national title contender. It's got to go through Georgia and Florida every single year in its division. And then if it manages to do that and gets to the SEC championship, it's going to have to get through an Alabama, and LSU, and Auburn, and maybe, as we're seeing, a Texas A&M. So there are a lot of other teams that it has to compete with, not just nationally, but within its own conference. Whereas in the Big Ten, Nebraska is not as far along as Tennessee, but I'd I, I think that if you look at their division, they don't have nearly as tall of a mountain to climb because yeah, Wisconsin's good. We all know that. And Iowa has good years, but I don't think that those are two programs that you consider to be title contenders. Whereas Tennessee has two title contending programs within its own division. So I feel like Nebraska, as far as that is concerned is closer than Tennessee. So I think I look at it from talent wise, program wise, Tennessee is closer position wise. As far as where you are at a conference, I feel like Nebraska is closer, so that's why it's hard for me to really have a final. I I probably lean towards Tennessee being more likely, but I don't think the gap is that large.
1: How is the question phrased? Who's closer to getting back to the glory years? What what was the question?
2: What team do y'all think emerges back into national playoff national championship slash playoff contention first?
1: Yeah. Okay. So to me, that's to me easily Tennessee. Tennessee, like Tennessee right now is the number three recruiting class in the country. Nebraska is the number 41 recruiting class in the country. I'm not, that's a snapshot that can all change. It's one class. Like, I don't want to, don't, don't get hung up on that, but I'm just saying like, it's a visual of what drives national championships and Tennessee is got his foot on the gas trying to recruit at that level. And Nebraska, it's tougher to recruit at that level at Nebraska based on geography and location. And, and, and certainly in this climate, it's it's even more so. But Tennessee is in the footprint that it can recruit at that level. It has a staff that's capable of recruiting at that level. And yes, it's going to be a harder climb. But I think that's sort of like the, the – particularly as the question is phrased that way. Like I think right now Nebraska is – I'm not saying there aren't steps in between these things. But like Nebraska right now, our visualization of Nebraska finally getting back – mine. I'll speak for myself. Nebraska getting back is getting on a Wisconsin level. In Tennessee getting back is, I think, it can be con- like if it's contending for the SEC East, it's back. If you're contending for the SEC East, you're contending for a national championship. And so I think like you know, the, yeah, the good news is who is who's Nebraska competing against? Well, Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, Illinois, Northwestern. Purdue, like all of those teams, don't have a great recruiting base either. So the the, the climb to the top of the top of the division may be easier for Nebraska, but ultimately the climb to get to a national championship contending level, I think, we're we're seeing this, that there, there's more encouraging steps on that front at Tennessee right now than there is in Nebraska. Mm,
2: what it, what would be so winning winning the SEC East is probably the first signifier of backness for Tennessee yeah,
1: but and- again if you win the SEC East it, it is the first signifier of backness but it's also like you are by definition in the in in contention for the playoffs here right I mean I, well i well, I've got no now, not
0: necessarily I, I could also I could also counter with Mizzou won the SEC East a couple times in the last decade. Would you consider them to be a national title contender well, at the time? I
2: was going to say well, the Jim McElwain Florida I, teams both showed up to Atlanta as SEC East champions in, I think, 2015 and 2016, and neither one of those teams was sniffing college football playoff contention. They were just the sacrificial lamb to Alabama.
1: For sure, but I'm also thinking about the SEC East in like its present-day form. Where if you are contending for the SEC East, you're you're beating Georgia and Florida potentially. Like you're, and I don't expect those two teams to, to to have some down years ahead of us. Like those two teams look like they're they're accelerating right now, not not slowing down. So sure. I, you know, I, again, I I think it's harder, but I think it's it's it sort of goes back to my whole thing with Jeremy Pruitt It is the, the reason that I that I ranked him high in my coach rankings isn't necessarily because like what he's proven right now is is that it's it's, it's more about what his ceiling is like Jeremy Pruitt is not shooting for 8 and 4 seasons like he is the the, the his he's shooting for for 12 and 0 like that's and and I think he's either going to get that or maybe he crashes and burns and you know who knows what it looks like but I think that the ceiling is there and Nebraska, I think we're still, I think we're still kind of waiting to see if if the ceiling is there. I mean, we're we're a long way away. Like the best Nebraska has been before Scott Frost is what? Like since Tom Osborne, what's the best? What's the best we've seen for Nebraska? When nine t- and
0: four, nine, like ten and four, kind of seasons under Pelini.
1: Yeah. yeah, and so I like. I mean,
0: although they did play for a couple Big Twelve
2: titles. Right, I, mean, I was going to say screwed
0: out of one Big Ten, t- Big Twelve title. Taylor
2: Martinez had them in the Big 10 championship game. That's the best it's been.
0: Mhm. And 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 like I said in the Big 12 too, they, you know, they were a friendly second on the clock away from probably beating Texas and winning a conference title.
2: In 09? So,
1: mhm. Yeah. So and I guess but, but, you know, before someone calls me on this, I need to check myself too because the best like Tennessee's best is actually it's not that impressive. Not been great. I mean, yeah, so, I mean ninety eight, obviously. Um, but since then, Fulmer had an eleven and two year. He had he had three other, so he had four eleven or ten win seasons plus. Uh, you know, over the next ten years. But since Fulmer's been gone, nine and four under Butch Jones is as good as we've gotten out of Tennessee either. So, you know, I, I acknowledge that, but I just feel like given the recruiting base, there's there's more upside there. And it's and it and it seems like we're pacing towards things at a quicker level than we are in Nebraska. Yeah, I th-
0: I think that it's a good question and it's a fair question, but I also think that if we look at that recent history, like since in this century, since two thousand, let's see, Nebraska has had ten win seasons, one, two, three, four, five. They've had six. 10 win seasons since 2000 since 2000, Tennessee, I don't think it's had a single one has it or no, they've had, they've, no, they've had Palmer one, two, three. Had they've had four. four, but the last yeah. one was in 2007. Nebraska's last 10 win season was in 2012.
2: Yeah. Hmm. Mm. Keep your eye on it. State who do, which coach do you think are both coaches equally likely to be successful in their venture?
1: in their venture to, to compete for national championships? Well,
2: they will say even the first step to backness. Like, do you feel like both coaches have the same chance? Because I like how uh, they drew the similarity. The question was asked by S-A-F-G-R-G, so let's just call them SAF. The question from SAF uh, was that it, could, it noted that both Pruitt and Frost were hired at the same time.
0: I think Pruitt's closer, but I also don't think that Pruitt had the kind of rebuild that Scott Frost had at Nebraska simply because, like I mentioned on the last show, going from spread to pro back to spread. I think that's been a bigger rebuild for Nebraska than at Tennessee.
2: Yeah, the coaching search was a bigger mess than the roster he inherited. The roster Mm -hmm. he inherited was not bad.
0: Yeah, because Butch Jones, for all his faults, at Tennessee, was not, it's not like he wasn't bringing in talented players. They had a good roster. The problem with the Butch Jones era was that Butch Jones was not doing enough with the talent that they had.
2: Hey, man, but those, those back-to-back nine-win seasons, it's glorious, brick by brick. Get it done. Uh, <laughs> all right, next question comes from uh, SG. Love the podcast. There's been a debate on Twitter today about the best college QB between Newton, Manziel, Mariota, and Burrow. Who do you guys think is the best or top three QBs of the decade, either by season or career?
1: Newton, Manziel, Mariota, Burrow. Okay. Uh, I don't think –
2: I think that there's one big – there's a name that's missing that's in my top three from that group.
1: So, all right. First of all, I've got – so – is, is the question who are our top three quarterbacks of the decade?
2: Yeah, that's what, I mean that's that's the way that <clears throat> I thought that this would make for fun discussion. Top three okay. quarterbacks of the decade, ranked. Do
1: you guys disagree with with? Maybe you do. Here, I just I'll just tell you I have my top two: one Burrow, two Cam. The, I know that there's a, they're both sw- like one hit wonders, but those were the two best seasons I've ever seen by a quarterback.
2: That's in my, my That's my one and two. I've flipped it. I've got Cam one, Burrow two.
1: Okay.
0: Okay. See, this is funny because I I agree. I think that single season, those are the two best seasons we saw from a, a quarterback in the decade. But I don't have either of them in my top three simply because you they only are, played one season.
1: Yes, that is so. That is that's right up your alley. You do the same thing with coach rankings. You're all about lo- like longevity, proven over time. Such a stat head.
0: Yeah, I, I know. It's crazy to think that you know a larger <laughs> sample and consistency is something that you should value instead of just you know an outlier. No, my my three. And again, this is I didn't include Cam and Joe. I think they had the best seasons single-handedly. It's just only one season at a time in the decade that mattered. I mean, also actually, actually, Joe had two seasons, and that first season was nowhere near the second season. So consistency. Anyway, my three are actually Andrew Luck, Baker Mayfield, and Deshaun Watson.
2: Andrew Luck? <laughs> no, he's he's got killer numbers in Tom's quarterback formula.
1: Oh, he wasn't even on my list.
2: He wasn't on my list either, but I knew I he mean, was going to come. Up.
1: Like I understand Andrew Luck was a was a stud, but when I think about the decade, that you know how many. Andrew Luck, dropped, not, like dig routes like from Andrew Luck are flashing in my head like that is not that is not how I like he's if not you the face took, of the decade to me
0: if you took Andrew Luck and put him into the kind of offenses that these guys are playing in now instead of being in what we talked about in the last episode that you loved so much about Stanford the power smash mouth <laughs> 250-pound running backs and 260-pound fullback offense that he was in where it was mostly like a play action and only throwing between like 15 and 20 times a game. And you put that dude with his talent and his arm and an offense in which he was allowed to throw 35 to 40 times a game, he'd have had ridiculous numbers.
1: Well, we're not doing that, though. We're not hypotheticaling people into offenses. No, but offense three he quarterbacks,
0: my top three quarterbacks in the decade, not including Burrow and Cam, our luck, Mayfield and Deshaun. Period.
2: I feel strongly about the Mayfield. I'm in on that.
1: I I think Mayfield Mayfield 100%. And is, I gave
2: longevity points there. Like yeah. it, no his so in his 3 years at Oklahoma um, I guess what would have been his sophomore season? I mean, he had the red shirt, so it's he'd already clearly been in uh around for a while, but sophomore season, number three passer rating in the country, 36 touchdowns, seven interceptions, junior season, number one passer rating in the country, 40 touchdowns, eight interceptions, senior year, number one passer rating in the country, 43 touchdowns, six interceptions. That is a 5.7 touchdowns for every pick average across all three seasons, the dude was bananas for so long. He was both, like, with Lincoln Riley as the OC and then also guiding them into the college football playoff in Lincoln Riley's uh, year as a head coach. All
1: right. So I have Burrow 1, Camp 2. My third, here, here are the candidates that have for third. And, and maybe maybe there's some East Coast bias. Maybe I should have luck in there. Maybe you're right. I just... He is not the guy that that is 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 in my my head when I think about the decade. So, RG three is a candidate. Manziel is a candidate. Watson, Mayfield, Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray. Those are my candidates for number three. I, I, I think I, the the, in terms of what they accomplished on the field and like because part of the way I I. I thought of this question is when I'm watching a game, if I'm cheering for the opposing team, which quarterback do I feel uh, most helpless watching? Like there's nothing we can do. This guy is too good. And that player probably is Baker Mayfield. Like if you just remember the, the way he could extend plays, the precision he played with, like that was, I think pretty special. But I'm a little bit tempted to go with Watson for three because what he did was basically elevate an entire program. Like we talk about the, the Blue Bloods and how hard it is to break into that club. And Deshaun Watson broke Clemson into that club. And that and made Clemson sort of maybe the team of the decade, one of the teams of the decade. That, that is, that's a pretty lofty accomplishment to me. You yeah,
0: know, I, I think Watson is the best of I would have I mean him and Mayfield, I think, are the obvious choices for that third spot. I will say with Mahomes, I don't I didn't really consider Mahomes at all. I just think that obviously what he's done in the NFL has been, you know, holy crap. And he's very talented. He's got the huge arm. But if you look at Mahomes' numbers at Texas Tech and compare them to every single other Texas Tech quarterback, they don't really stand out. They're pretty much the same as everybody else. That's
1: interesting.
2: Well, I was thinking as you were uh, talking about the mentality of who do I feel helpless against, I was thinking, I was like, well, I don't feel helpless against Mahomes because all you got to do is just hold the ball and just run for four yards per carry against the defense. Just keep it out of his hands. On the Deshaun point, I would say that the helpless feeling is exactly what Nick Saban felt when he felt the need to kick an onside kick to flip the game in 2015 when they won the national championship and then watching Deshaun Watson march down the field in the final minutes, cool as a cucumber, running that offense against Alabama's defense that was winded and, and running out of air as he led them to the national championship. Uh, Watson, it's funny because they listed uh, – Manziel, who I believe was more of a like football culture phenomenon than somebody who I would consider best QB of the decade, especially when you compare them to the college football playoff appearances and national championships won by some of the others. Mariota was interesting. Uh, he was very, very good. But for some reason, I've still got him falling short of – like I would put Watson right up there with Mayfield as well before I even got to Mariota.
0: Yeah, I think – in a weird way, I think Mariota's like goodness, <laughs> which is not, not the right, but I just feel like Mariota's like success was pretty boring in a way. Like, wow, that guy's really good. And that, you know what I mean? It's like you knew he was good. He was really good. He's one of the best. He won a Heisman for a reason, but you never felt like he was truly, you know, like transcendent in a way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah. Like Manziel to me is like he was just, he was more exciting than great. Not that he wasn't great, but like in in, in this terminology, and you know, Mariota. I, I I do wonder how much Mariota and Jameis Winston's NFL careers have colored the way we look at their college careers, because uh, they were the well, I mean, they're first and second pick in the draft, right? Yeah. So I mean, that's you know, That sort of speaks to and and uh, you know, Mariota did a little bit of what Clemson is doing right now in terms of elevating that program, they just didn't quite get over the hump. And obviously Jameis had one of the best seasons of all time or one of the best teams of all time in that 2013 year.
0: Yeah, I remember when they came out, I was very much in the Jameis's is the better QB now and Marcus has the higher ceiling. And then it turns out they were both already at their ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like they were already fully formed when they came out.
2: I think Jameis Winston's college perception was hurt by his redshirt sophomore season when he threw a bunch of picks.
0: Yeah. Cause that didn't prove to be predictive.
2: Like he was so elite during that 2013 season when Florida state was one of the most dominant teams in college football history. But then remember during that whole 2014 season, they would just, uh, they were just kind of messing around. With a lot of teams, like every Florida State win and Florida State was undefeated. Pro- I think they were the undefeated number three seed in the college football mm. playoff in the 2014 season. And it is because they won so many games close. All right, Jameis Winston, passer rating, 2014, 27th in the country. Yeah. 25 touchdowns to 18 interceptions. <laughs> Prophetic. Prophetic. <laughs> Uh, All right. Coming up on the other side, more of your questions and our answers next
1: on May 23rd.
2: This question is from Jeremy. I listened to the drafting college quarterbacks pod, and it gave me some hope that maybe you guys can quash. Jeez. He wants us to quash his hopes. Gladly. Uh, Even though nobody picked my man, Sam Uh, He's a Texas fan. I recognize everyone was going for a stud senior with a young room to develop, and Ellinger probably missed the cut with only three senior quarterbacks to take as starters. But hearing Barton's stellar projection for Jaquindon Jackson and the following logic of building a program around a strong senior with a deep room of young guys, is it fair to put the quarterback outlook at Texas somewhere just behind Clemson? I was at Texas from two thousand ten to two thousand fifteen, so I got the worst of the puzzling uncertainty at the position. Am I wrong for thinking we may be coming out of that? Love the podcast. You guys are doing great and keep me level during these uncertain times. Can't wait for the next season. So there's actually more football to talk about.
1: Okay, cool. Hook 'em. I wouldn't I wouldn't I don't think like you're just butting up against Clemson in the in the Texas quarterback room right now. I think the teams that are butting up against Clemson are Alabama because like like to me, either you have a guy that is a, is a freak show, no doubt guy, or we're all guessing. And Clemson has Trevor Lawrence and a freak show, no doubt guy behind him. And DJ, we Alabama has Mac Jones, who is a capable starter and a freak show, no doubt guy and Bryce Young behind him. Uh, So, so Clemson and Alabama are set for the next three years at least. With, with in my opinion, I guess I could be wrong, but in my opinion, uh, no doubt, guys. Uh, I think Ohio State is pretty close to that level. I think CJ Stroud could be that kind of a guy, and I think the Justin and obviously they have Justin Fields. Uh, Spencer Rattler will find out this year, but he, you know, could be a freak show. Um, If he is, then that's. At least two more years there. Like I think those are the those are the the rooms that where we like because at the quarterback position, I don't know how far in advance you can really look because you know you got a guy for X amount of years and then who knows what the the, the room will look like in in two years. So those teams are all in, in great shape. Um, I think the 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 positive with Texas is you have. I think behind Sam Ellinger you have Jaquin and Jackson and Hudson Card who are different quarterbacks but both really talented and and both you could see hitting in like very different ways. And so you have, I think, diversity in your room and like you also have a guy, particularly in Jaquinn and Jackson, like I said, who can – so yeah, in terms of depth, yeah, absolutely. But I, I still think both of those guys, while they were top 100 recruits, are not at the level where I can say with authority that like, yes, for sure those guys will hit. They may be like Sam Ellinger. I mean, not Sam Ellinger, um, Sam Howell was that kind of guy. Like we ranked him the top 100, but I couldn't tell you for sure he was going to hit. And it looks like he's going to hit. So I just think, yes, it's nice. You have depth, but I'm not ready to just sort of say that Texas is set at quarterback for the next three years.
0: I don't really have much more that I can add to that that Barton didn't already say. Other than, I didn't draft Sam Ellinger because I never had him on my board. Yikes. It's not, Mm. I mean, I have nothing against him. I'm not as high on him as I know you are, Chip, and some other people are. I think he's a lot, I feel like when it comes to Ellinger, there are two schools of thought, which is typically the case when it comes to Texas because there's Texas fans and then there's everybody else. I think that he's good. He's not as good as some people believe, nor is he horrible, which is what a lot of people want you to believe. I think he's a very solid quarterback at the college level, but I would not, he's not in my top five of who I would want. No.
2: He is video game like in the way that uh, if I was controlling him, everything's running through him. Like we're just everything is going to run through him. He is going to be responsible for almost all of our offense. We need him to run, we need him to pass, we need him to figure out ways to go and get us the third downs and the touchdowns in goal line situations. Uh I don't know. I love it. He's a he's an iconic college quarterback.
1: Yeah, Tom, all that matters is do you think he's iconic? No. Oh. What? Sorry. Um, that is that is grounds for a fight. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I think he's a perfectly fine quarterback. You don't have to get on here and and start talking about how good of a player he is, but I'll be damned if you're going to say he's not iconic.
0: <laughs> how many Instagram followers does he have?
1: <laughs> I don't know.
2: And the the, the best uh the the best analysis isn't instagram followers it's how many youth sized jerseys have been sold at roses in the state of texas <laughs> how many knockoff texas jerseys have been sold at big department stores how with the number Garrett 15 Gilbert on them jerseys have been sold i mean i was i was really think like about to start feeling for uh for jeremy here because if if he was at texas from 2010 to 2015 that was some lost in the woods time for uh, for the Longhorns.
1: Uh, those, those 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 the the tail end of the Mac Brown years. When I think of iconic Texas
0: quarterback, I think of Vince Young, and I'm sorry, but I'm not putting Sam Ellinger in the same category as Vince Young.
2: That was right, when uh, that that would be mean that he was at Texas. Right is the time that the rest of the country was reminding Texas fans that Mac Brown recruited Johnny Manziel as a safety.
0: And Robert Griffin as a safety.
2: And Robert Griffin as a safety.
0: And every other quarterback who seemingly was good and came out of Texas, apparently Mac Brown was recruiting him as a safety. How much of that is true and how much is a meme? We'll never know.
2: About to have the most athletic secondary in the country. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, if, if they had have picked off passes, they would have been able to throw for touchdowns afterwards. <laughs>
2: Uh, g- Great question, Jeremy. I'm glad that it does seem like the uh, the immediate future looks good for uh, for your Longhorns in the quarterback room. And uh, don't let anybody, including Tom Fernelli, tell you that Sam Ellinger ain't iconic. <laughs> All right, next question comes from Rach. Question, when discussing the typical blue bloods of college football, Michigan is typically in that conversation. However, one could argue that Michigan State, not Michigan, has been, more, has been the more successful program over the last 60 years. Michigan State has not only won more national titles in the last 60 years, but also claims the only college football playoff appearance of the two. Should Michigan be striving to be Michigan State? Oh!
0: Too, 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 too. <laughs> you know what? You could argue that Michigan State is based on the last 60 years. but the problem I have with this argument is that the reason you chose 60 years is that's how far you have to go back to get Michigan State's national
1: title. like that seemed a little bit uh, of a arbitrary uh, number there. 60 I feel like years specifically <laughs> like you work in 50s or hundreds or tens 60 seemed like a pretty uh, specific date there. What's
0: the name of the person asking this question? Rach. Right. Rach, I feel like I know which of these two teams you happen to be a fan of. And I will say that you could very much make an argument that Michigan State has been the better program of the two in this century, specifically in the last decade. I think maybe Michigan might have a stronger argument in the first decade of the of the 21st century. But I think the 2010s definitely belong to Michigan State. But the problem is, yeah, from 2000 to 2009... Michigan State finished one season in the AP poll. Michigan finished one, two, three, four, five, six, seven seasons in the AP poll. So, no, nope, got to give the 2000s to Michigan. Got to give the 90s to Michigan. Got to give the 80s to Michigan. Got to give the 70s to Michigan. I'll give Michigan State the 60s. So, if we want to go decade by decade, it is one, two, three. It is four to two Michigan.
1: What about, uh, the, the, did
0: you, what about the 50s? 50s, that is... This was Michigan, before Michigan State was even, or the Big Ten was the Big Ten yet.
1: But Michigan State, see. I mean, you. you Michigan you know, State gets the fifties. Yeah, yeah.
0: They maybe. finished in the top ten of the AP poll one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times.
1: There you go. They were number two in 1951, number one in 52, number three in 53, number two in 55, number three in 57. What a 50s juggernaut michigan state was
0: but you got to give michigan the 40s too so now we're up to five three in the last eight decades
1: (laughs) yeah this is yeah we
0: could (laughs) i love the spirit of the question it's just i think that i think you could definitely make the argument that michigan state has had the better decade and that is if i'm you rafe or sage what is reach right yeah we had sap earlier in rage now so it's confusing i think that is the argument you should stick to when you're getting into a debate with your michigan friends because if you start going back too far in history the national title discussion doesn't really hold a lot of weight when it's those two in the last 60 years haven't been in 60 years and if am i incorrect is are those the only two or did they have a couple in the 50s as well
2: Michigan State football claims uh, 1951, 52, 55, 57, 65, and 66.
0: Okay. But, okay. So, yeah, they've got six claims. Yeah. So, I mean, if you want to go long haul, you could make that argument. I guess you have better argument than a lot of people probably think off the surface. But... And
2: they, and they get that because of the 11... Uh, Michigan claimed national titles. Ten of them were before 1950.
1: Mm-hmm. Michigan has one national title since 1950.
0: 1997.
1: 1997, yeah. pick it up, Michigan. But
0: you also have to realize that for a long time, the national title wasn't nearly as important as winning your conference. The national title was just something that was given to you by like like voters. You, you know could, what I mean?
2: Well, I mean, you could argue that the national title isn't as important now. Remember?
0: Yeah, no, it's it's not as I, – I you can make that argument, but I think the national title became something that became an actual national obsession among college football fans in the modern era since, like, the 90s. I think you could argue that from the 80s for, before that, winning a national title was awesome. Nobody was upset when they got it. It's just I don't think that's what most – like, you weren't going into the season with your goal being winning a national title. You just wanted to win your conference.
2: I think I've told you this before, Tom, but the way that I generally have, and this is floating, I am open for criticism and or suggestion otherwise, but for the, for the, whatever the modern era is, like I, I consider the Supreme Court decision in 1984 against the NCAA that allowed conferences to be able to sell their own television rights so like we're not even to conference networks, we're not even really to the explosion of cable TV, but college football in my eyes becomes really national in the late eighties. And specifically I circle the Notre Dame Miami rivalry of the late eighties as the one thing that that beyond just like winning your home games and, and competing for a conference championship, that was when uh, the, the sport really took off. And then into the 90s, it continues to explode uh, with, with more Miami, with Nebraska, with Tennessee, uh, with Florida State. Penn State was really, really good in there too. So I, I consider the modern era when the national championship really started to matter in a big way to be from the late 80s on.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I recently I just did that post the other day about next five teams to win a national title that haven't won it in the modern era, and we used '92 as the beginning of the modern era because that's when the first bowl line started, where they were pitting one versus two in a bowl game. You had the SEC starting a conference championship, and then you also had the rules going in place that were limiting scholarships down to 85 per school. But I think I don't think there's a definitive modern era point. I think there's arguments for a couple different spots.
2: So the the interesting the observation of Michigan and its national championships since nineteen fifty, just being one, uh, kind of plays into uh, the expectations for Michigan football, or does it? Question from Big Tom Fiorini. What? what? B, B-I-I-I-G, big and then Tom Fiorini f-i-o-r-i-n-i
0: listen I'm just gonna say that name is a little too similar I might have to cease and desist (laughs)
2: Uh, I know riling up Michigan fans gets good ratings and it's pretty easy to do but why why does the Jim Harbaugh is overrated talk still exist my answer to that question has always been it depends on how you rate him but it actually confuses me why people act like most of the country still thinks he's a top five coach and is massively overrated. In my opinion, he seems to be properly rated parentheses top 25 ish coach by most pub- publications at this point, And most Michigan fans would agree with this. There seems to be a lot of anger directed at Harbaugh from non Michigan fans. Like he's some big phony when in reality, he's been a good, not great coach in his Michigan tenure. Am I off?
1: I'm not really sure what he's asking, but I, I think this is a but like the but the but any Harbaugh discussion to me is is fascinating. First of all, I would push back on the idea that like just ranking Harbaugh in the top 25 satisfies Michigan fans because I did that. I ranked him like 17th or something, and my mentions were like all over the place from Michigan fans. Were they not were satisfied? They were not satisfied with that. Now. I may have ranked him too low. I think, like as we discussed it on the call, when we when we discussed those rankings, like I may have been sort of convinced into thinking I had him a little bit too low. But I, I don't think anyone has him in the top ten anymore. I think he's probably like appropriately ranked in the sort of fifteen to eight sort of range. Um, and 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 but but here's the thing with Harbaugh. The the reason that there's he's called overrated is because when he arrived at Michigan, I think people, myself included thought that Harbaugh's arrival was analogous to the arrival of urban Meyer or Nick Saban or name your elite national championship is an an inevitability coach. And, it, it before long we realized like that isn't necessarily what we're going to get here. And so I think the, 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 the process of adjusting your expectations from that into just really good coach has taken some time, but like you, so then, then the response would be like, well then just everyone was just stupid for having the opinion that he was that good of a coach that he's a top four coach when he arrived. well, I, like I want to go over Harbaugh's resume, because in preparation for this question, like I, it's his his resume before he arrived at Michigan was phenomenal. Like it was, this is going to be a national title coach. It's not a matter of this; it's a matter of when. Hey, it still might happen. Like so, let's not rule it out. But I, but when he arrived, I wanted to I wanted to defend like anyone who thought that they that Michigan had just hired an Urban Meyer level coach. His career started at at University of San Diego, a 1AA non-scholarship program that it was average, right? In 2002, I have a little bit of personal uh, experience with this. I was on the Yale team that played uh, San Diego, University of San Diego. We beat them 49-14. That was the year before Harbaugh got there. They were terrible. I don't even remember that game. Like I, I, I have pretty vivid memories of most of my games. Like I don't even remember what happened because it was such a walk <laughs> in the park. Okay. Fast forward 2006, which was his third year there. I was gone at that point at Yale, and and that that team that killed us in in 2002, uh, that Yale team went six and four. We were average. Um, in 2006, a Yale team that went uh, eight and two and Tied for the Ivy League title and finished 25th in the country in the one AA rankings, got beat by San Diego 43 to 17. That's just three years after that. Okay, so San Diego was 11 and 1, 11 and 1 his last two years there. Not only that, Josh Johnson is, I think, still cashing a check in the NFL as a quarterback. So he, he developed, he recruited whatever, a quarterback that went on to be an, a, a veteran in the NFL at San Diego, his first stop. Then he takes over Stanford, 1 and 11 the year before he gets there. 12 and 1 the year he leaves. All right, that's that's the Luck Toby Gerhardt era. His hit the quarterback he recruits on his way out the door is Kevin Hogan who goes on to get drafted in the NFL draft. So Josh Johnson, Andrew Luck, Kevin Hogan, those are his quarterbacks so far. He takes a 5 and 5 team at San Diego to 11 and 1. He takes a 1 and 11 team to 12 and 1 at Stanford. Then he goes to the 49ers, a team that the year before he gets there was 6 and 10, third in the NFC West. First year there, he's they're thirteen and three, NFC runner up. Next year, they're the NFC champ. After that, NFC runner up again. His quarterback's there, Alex Smith, who who he turned into a really good player, obviously, and uh, Colin Kaepernick, who at that point no one was really even talking about as this elite talent. And Jim Harbaugh created this this guy, right? He leaves San Francisco after an eight and eight season, whatever his final year there, goes to Michigan. Michigan had had had. Uh, back-to-back 10 wins hadn't had back-to-back 10 win seasons since 2002 2003 he gets back-to-back 10 win seasons his first two years there and we're going uh, josh johnson andrew luck kevin hogan alex smith colin kaepernick jake rudock who transfers from iowa to michigan gets drafted that year every quarterback he's touched at this point is successful like you can you can sort of critique. Kevin Hogan or, or Jake Rudock, all you want, but those guys got drafted. Those guys cast checks in the NFL that he developed or 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 produced in college. The 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 resume to that point, like and and by the way, second year there was the year that they had another 10-win season, and it took overtime to be like they they, they almost knocked off Ohio State. That was that like a brutally close finish, and it looked like they were literally on the doorstep of and so right then I think you're seeing what happened, you're seeing him arrive in Michigan. You're seeing the acceleration of the Michigan program. You're seeing how close they are to beating Ohio State. And so at that point, two years in, I think he has validated an expectation that things are going to jump off here. And since then, it just hadn't jumped off, especially considering the way things have gone down against Ohio State. But rating him as high as you want up to whatever that year is, 2017 or whatever, is perfectly reasonable, perfectly defensible. like explain to me how a rise could be more impressive than what he did in that stretch that I just outlined 2002 or uh, 2004, I guess, or three up to like 2017. Like that's a 15 years. That was phenomenal to me. Yeah. I, <laughs> Oh, I know, <laughs> I know why. Else, I guess, uh, isn't that cra- like, but isn't like, like think about it. Like, Cause right now we're all like, we're, we're, we're kind of bash hardball but I, I just think, it's important to like pull back and look at the, con- like and, and bring some relativity back into this. Like, like I I hadn't, I it had been, I mean, I knew what it, what it was, but in digging into the resume, uh, I, I just, when you circle back to it and you, and you really like look at it again, that's like, am I wrong? Like that is no f- incredible in terms of what he accomplished up to that point.
0: You know, I, I mean, I've, I've talked about it a lot uh, on this podcast. I think that, jim harbaugh is has done a much better job at michigan than a lot of people want to give him credit for but i also think that there is a lot of stuff that he still needs to do that at michigan that is worth picking you know apart on what he does but i also think that in a way like by if you're saying that harbaugh you know if you're just criticizing harbaugh for not beating ohio state or saying he hasn't done this and that's if you're a michigan fan or somebody else these are all you know warranted critiques and something you should want. But I also think in a way it kind of disrespects what Ohio State has done because Ohio State has taken itself to a position in the Big Ten and nationally where it is one of those elite programs. So most teams aren't beating Ohio State. So when you critique Jim Harbaugh for not doing it, that's mostly based on the hype surrounding him going into the higher – And Michigan just being Ohio State's primary rival. And I think if you just look at it as a vacuum, it's like, well, yeah, he hasn't beat the team that nobody beats. That's really not something you should hold against him. So I think that some of the
2: overrated talk comes as a bit of backlash to his behavior and his moves when he arrived at Michigan because the satellite camps was a thing. That drove coaches crazy. And he came in and he started to make big splashes on the recruiting trail. Top 10 classes in 2016, top 10 class in 2017, top 10 class in 2019. He was doing some, some real work, leaving the state of Michigan, going into other people's neighborhoods and getting recruits. It was the antics of him uh, having sleepovers. Uh, remember when he climbed the tree so that he could talk to the recruit through the window? He was walking around at these camps, these uh, satellite camps with his shirt off and his khakis on. I think that there was a level of showmanship that he was bringing. Uh, The milk and the steak. Remember he was jumping all in on, uh,
0: he was a big tweeter early on. Was Mm -hmm. that Jim Harbaugh being a showman or was that stuff all being covered because of the public's appetite for Jim Harbaugh?
1: No, I think he I think he I think he's toned a, it down.
2: I don't think it's just has. we've tired of it. I don't think that we I have think, tired of it. I think he's toned that down.
1: I think at the time he was like, "All right, I'm going to be as out there as as like like he was very much embracing the idea of like any publicity is good publicity lets because it was going to help recruiting." Um and I think he's probably backed off that a little bit.
2: Uh he has. I mean, the Jim Harbaugh has made more headlines in the last two years for players' rights, for social justice, and sort of standing with his current players and former players, including Colin Kaepernick and others, uh, than he has for these wacky recruiting stories. But, you know, and we're, I'm at fault. You know, the, the, the college football blogosphere is at fault because – You know, in 2015, 2016, whoo boy, that Harbaugh content was hitting. People were clicking on it. Out here chasing a bag of clicks, and we were just getting all of it from the Harbaugh stuff. It was 100% a chicken and egg scenario, but I think that all of those antics and him really thriving on getting under the skin of SEC coaches – for the way that he was marching into sec country on these tours for these satellite camps. I think that that probably has as much to do with lingering feelings of overrated because he's not, he's not being judged against his record the way that you just laid out Barton. He's being judged against the idea of Jim Harbaugh.
1: Right. And I think, yes. And He's got. He still got a chance. I like. He still got a chance to circle back into that really elite uh, tier. Uh, you know, he just has to break through. He has to get to the playoffs, whatever. But I, I think the the thing that I is think like the thing that I that my rant was defending, and not that it was a rant, but it it was defending the idea that he deserved to be rated where he was when he first arrived. Like it wasn't a miss. It, it wasn't. It wasn't like media just falling in love with with a non-substantive Harbaugh for the sake of like clicks or whatever when we were calling him this game-changing coach that arrived in Michigan. All the evidence was pointing to him being a game-changing coach when he arrived in Michigan. And he's, I don't know that he's changed the game, but he's, he's improved things for sure.
2: Any other Harbaugh thoughts?
0: Michigan is a better football program now than it was when he took over.
2: That is Now it's
0: it's not good enough for what a lot of people want or expected, but if you you can't deny that Michigan is in a much better position right now than it was when he first took over.
2: The Wolverines in his 5 years twice they have shown up to play Ohio State in the final game of the year with a chance to play for a Big 10 championship. Now once they did kind of get blasted. Buckeyes hung 62 on the board. But to your point, in 2016, they were close. They were awfully, awfully close. Remember, if you want to jump in on a future mailbag episode, the way that you're going to be able to do that is by going to the Cover 3 College Football Podcast five-star review within the review leave your mailbag question and we will add it to the big old bag of mail you can follow him on twitter at barton simmons you can follow him at tom finelli you can follow me at chip underscore patterson gentlemen thank you very much
0: shout out burnley plus 250